Greetings, cinephiles. Are you looking for a movie analysis podcast that stands above the rest? Then look no further than Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters. We analyze good movies, we analyze bad movies, and yes, we also analyze the in-betweens of the world of cinema. So if you like what you hear, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And yes, my friends, we are 420 friendly. So when you listen to us, smoke smoke it it if you've got got it. it. And now, here's a new episode of Collateral Gaming. The show starts right now. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Zachary Gio. This is Collateral Gaming. Welcome back to Collateral Gaming, everybody. The only video game podcast that matters where we focus on good games, bad games, and everything in between in the world of gaming. It has been a while since I have been here with you, Ash, but we are back for part two of our journey through Fire Emblem, The Blazing Blade. How have you been, buddy? Yes, sir. We're doing great, guys. We are podcasting across the country, and yes, we are a 420-friendly podcast. Um, I am doing great, buddy. Life is uh, is awesome because we're finally doing the second half of this episode, yep. finishing off season four <laughs> of Collateral Gaming and getting to talk about a phenomenal game even more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry about the delay on this part, everybody. Um, I had moved and I started a new job. Uh and there's just been a lot of planning going on, so I'm sorry for the delay that's that's on me. But it's good to be back, and I'm excited to sit here and talk about, honestly, one of my favorite Game Boy games, let alone Fire Emblem games uh, with Ash. Because, honestly, it's been a long time coming, especially the second part. It feels like it's taken forever, and I'm sorry about that, but it's good to be back. It's life, man. I get it. You know, every, every, every time that we were going to record and we had set a date, you know, something would happen. You'd be like, this came up, or, um, or like... There was a couple times where, like, I just fucking woke up late. I was like, damn it! <laughs> yeah, it's and it's totally fine. It's just, it's a matter of getting that schedule on track. And honestly, it's it's a bit of a doozy sometimes. But you know what? It's fine because we can make it work. You but gotta. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for today. But before anything else, um, we got some potential news coming through. Uh, there are rumors, Ash, of an impending Nintendo Direct. Which is really exciting because we haven't really gotten anything from nintendo this year yeah that's true um i I actually hadn't heard about that uh, and but actually it's only rumors that's it no 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 no. you're right i did hear rumors i did hear rumors about that um i'd love to see a nintendo direct uh and 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 seeing as it's been a while since we we did uh part one actually i'm glad you brought that up because um yeah yeah no i don't know (laughs) i just woke (laughs) up dude I think we, uh, honestly, me too, I just finished my cup of coffee, but honestly, we need a Nintendo Direct. There's been almost no news, and a lot of people say no news is good news, but that's not true. You know, it's one thing to kind of keep suspicion alive, but at the same time, it's not fair to kind of just let us sit in agony. We don't know anything really about Breath of the Wild 2, except that it's supposedly coming out in March of 2023 or early 2023. March is my guess because, you know, that's when Breath of the Wild 1 came out, March 2017. Mm-hmm. We don't, we still have nothing as far as uh, Metroid Prime 4 is concerned. And it's just, it's frustrating. 
You know, I, I just, I want to hear more about these titles that we deserve. I mean, to be honest, I thought we would even see a new Mario game at this point. It's yeah. Been, it's been, what, three or four years since Odyssey? It's been a little while. Um, well, and yeah, I'd love to see an Odyssey 2, because on the Wii, we did get a Galaxy 2. And Odyssey was, uh, you know, pretty much just as, if not more popular, you know, than, than Odyssey was. I'm, I'm pretty sure it outsold it, so... Odyssey yeah. over Galaxy, I should say. Uh, I'd love to see a new Fire Emblem game, Fire Emblem 17, or very possibly, um, probably before we see that, we'll we'll get an announced remake. Because, uh, let's see, they did a Fire Emblem 3 remake, although that only came out in Japan. Boo. Yeah, that's stupid. I think a Fire Emblem 4 plus 5 remake, combining Genealogy of the Holy Wars plus Thracia 776, would probably be the best thing to do. And then... After that, I think the very next thing they should do is do a remake of Binding Blade and Blazing Blade. <laughs> yep, I think so. I just, I hope that they kind of keep, if they do remake Binding Blade and Blazing Blade, I hope they keep them in that kind of GBA style. Kind of like, like they did with uh, Superstar Saga. Keep the same like layout. I just don't want them to go to the way they did Three Hopes or Path of Radiance. I, I really don't enjoy those Fire Emblem games, and I'm sorry. I know that I'm probably committing treason and blast <laughs> well three hopes is a warrior's game i think you meant three houses oh not three hopes yeah three houses sorry yeah. but i i understand what you mean yeah i know uh uh i don't know three houses uh it does feel quite a bit like fire emblem it doesn't really feel any different to me other than you know like for you you know that we don't have the same uh uh, I mean, there's voices and shit. And I know for like the classic experience, a lot of people don't like that. If, if they Me. were going to make a remake of the GBA games, I think they should add an option to turn the voices off. But uh, they actually ended up working out the animations. I mean, somewhere when Fire Emblem went into 3D, I guess we'll kind of th get into our discussion here. Because there, there was something special about the 2D Fire Emblem games that lost when we made the transition to 3D. Uh, which originally was that the critical animations weren't nearly as satisfying. That changed when Echo Shadow of Valentia and Three Houses came out. They actually managed to make the, uh, the critical animations and just the overall fighting animations a lot better cooler and uh and kind of you know regained some of that uh the caliber of those but uh one thing that the fire emblem gba games have uh you know are, are have a lot of notoriety for are these awesome crit animations i mean you can go on youtube and you can just watch a compilation of crit animations <laughs> Well, cool. I mean, that's all. That was always one of my favorite parts about the Fire Emblem experience is watching the different characters uh, and their critical hits. But that's one thing I didn't like about the, you know, the DS versions was the criticals. I didn't like how it kind of like showed a panel with the face of a character and then they would say something and then they would do a critical hit. I never liked that. I never appreciated that. I thought that that was very cheesy. I, I loved the way the GBA games did it, to where they would just kind of do a special move and then they would do a critical hit. So yeah. I, I don't know. I it just it never really sat right with me, but if they fixed it and made it, you know, better, I would I definitely wouldn't knock it. You know? It's it's fireable. So Well we'll we'll talk about that more in a bit, but uh I, I think that they could they could easily uh, modernize the uh, the blazing blade and the biting blood experience, and, and you know, like I said, just package those two together because yep. they're 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 story linked, allow you to do either one first and then finish the other. And I kind of even had this idea. Actually, we'll talk about that later. Uh, for right now, actually, I kind of wanted to get into the story 
of the Blazing Blade, something that we didn't get into last time. Yeah. Uh, and particularly some of the characters. Uh, what, what do you have to say about that? Well, I think that the... I think that the story is probably one of the most well-refined of the Fire Emblem series. I really like the uh, the relationship between the main characters. You've got Lynn, uh, Sacy. Is it Sacy? A, a girl from Sacy? Uh, from, oh, uh, what, what's the name of it? I always pronounced it Sakai, but I don't know. Saucy. We'll call it Saucy. saucy. We'll call it Saucy. She's a girl from the Sa- Saucy Plains. Um, <laughs> Elliewood, a, a prince of... So, in... in- J- Japanese, it is actually pronounced Saka. Saka. So That's dope. That gives you a clue. It's not always, uh, you know, direct, but usually the Japanese pronunciation is meant to imitate uh, the pronunciation. Okay. Well, I, I, I love the main characters, Lynn, Elliewood, and Hector. I think that their stories are incredible. I, I love the length of the game, 30 chapters plus many, you know, side chapters, I guess X or what would you call those chapters? Yeah, those are called guidance chapters um, or uh, they'll be like denoted by number X. And, you know, those are those those little side chapters. They're always worth doing, in my opinion. The game will tell you, oh, think think about it. These chapters are a little bit hard. And they give you the choice to, like, not do them. But you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't do them. Because, first of all, you get access to, you know, some, some better weapons and stuff yep. that you wouldn't normally get in the playthrough without it. And you also get a little bit more story, which is really nice. Because you can breeze through this game pretty quickly. You really can, and I mean, even towards the latter half of the game, you know, it gets really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're if you're well seasoned in you know Fire Emblem and how the game works, you you'll be all right. There are only so many chapters in this game, and so you can actually say that experience is a precious resource, and that's something you actually have to manage. You know, you have to make sure that you know you're not just killing all of your units with all of the enemies with your good units, but mm-hmm. giving some of your weaker units that precious experience that you only have so much of. Wear down enemy units with stronger units and then use the weaker units to finish them off, giving finish them, them the off. max yeah. Giving them that max experience. Right, right. That's the way to do it. But you gotta make sure you're not just finishing off because, you know, an inexperienced player would be tempted to just send Marcus through and solo everybody. Ew. I hate Marcus. <laughs> oh no, Marcus is god tier, man. Marcus will carry you through the game, especially in the beginning, until you end up promoting one of your own paladins. Oh, you got Kent and Sane, man. Those guys are awesome. And yeah, I mean, once you promote one of them, they're better. But I'm just saying, until you get to that point, Marcus will carry you. Oh yeah, you're but right. But don't he don't will. promote Lowen. He sucks. <laughs> and he also has no eyes. Yeah, (laughs) green puffy hair with no eyes but i really like the way the game starts you're basically uh just kind of jumping into like the beginning of the story you're basically a tactician um you you yourself this is actually i think this is the only game where you kind of put yourself in the game as not necessarily a playable character but your whole objective is to you know guide the team to safety Mm mm-hmm and uh, basically, since you, the player, are strategizing to keep, you know, your units safe, they kind of give you a role in the game. And so you're acknowledged throughout the entire game instead of you just... It's, it's more immersive. It makes you feel like you're in the game. And so you basically meet Lynn at the very beginning of the game. And she realizes that she has to go and save, or she wants to go and see her grandfather. And so you start traveling with her, and basically the whole oh, first... Summer! 
<laughs> but basically, the whole first like ten to twelve chapters of the game is a glorified tutorial. Yes, and and I never really enjoyed that, but it does give you solid footing for the rest of the game. It kind of helps you embrace because this was the first uh, this was the first Fire Emblem that was released in America as well, and so they kind of they they I guess. Nintendo thought that all American children and people were stupid, so they just kind of <laughs> they kind of spoon fed us how the game worked, and I it really helped because the game does get hard. Um, but it's just it's interesting the way they set that up. Yeah, I mean, well, and I think that's why this make that makes this game one of the best Fire Emblem games to start off with, and I'm glad that I did because it does give you a a big tutorial on how to use you know all of the different characters. Compare that with the the immediate preceding game, The Binding Blade, which in all other ways looks almost like the same game. I mean, it's got uh, the same assets and 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 everything, and uh, you know that game just kind of throws you into the action. Yep. This one actually, you know, like I said, because it was the first Fire Emblem game in the West, they needed to, they actually kind of needed to have a tutorial for Western players. I mean, not that the very first Fire Emblem game ever had a tutorial of any kind, but uh, we're, we're <laughs> in modern times now where, you know, we're a little bit more sensible and maybe the Japanese are just a little bit patronizing to us and think that we needed it. But you know what? They're right. Because I would not have known what I was doing. I don't think I've really ever played a strategy RPG before this game. Uh, I think this was this was the first tactical RPG I think I, I actually played. Uh, now, I've gone back and I started playing like Final Fantasy Tactics and uh, some other stuff, but this one is uh, it's a it's a good it's a good intro into that genre. It's definitely an interesting experience. The the turn-based gameplay is something to get used to, especially if you make a mistake and you kind of watch the enemy units yeah, you know, make you pay, kind of punish you for your mistakes. So it's it's an experience, but it's it's a good one. Yeah, and for those first ten chapters, you know, it is basically a glorified tutorial, but there is a story going on. You're getting introduced to Lynn's character, and Lynn is on a mission, basically, to reunite with her grandfather. Like you said, I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's it. That's what she's trying to do. She's meeting characters along the way, and. Although you can skip Lynn's Tale in subsequent playthroughs, it's actually worth it to play through it every time because experience those units will carry over the experience uh, that they gained in Lynn's Tale. Absolutely, they will. And honestly, it's worth it because Lynn is one of my favorite characters in the game, so it's good to have her fully leveled up, especially yeah. towards the end. And we'll talk about the end here in a little bit. I don't want to like get too far ahead of myself, but Lynn is one of the most powerful characters in the game. If you if you continuously raise all of her stats. And honestly, you meet some really really awesome characters in the beginning of the game. Yeah, no no, that's whenever you you meet your uh that's whenever you meet Will Dorcas. And oh god, Dorcas. Dorcas. And uh I'm just thinking of that of that dumb commercial that I'm actually going to play as the clip. <laughs> I I hate Dorcas. I mean, you meet you meet him in one of my least favorite chapters of the game. You have to defend him and his, or you have to defend his wife. Um, and you gotta you well not defend his wife, but you have to keep. Well, you do defend his wife, don't you? She's in the center. Right. Yeah, you defend his wife. Uh, it's it's the first defense type chapter. It's also the chapter that introduces you to the concept of recruiting units, and so yeah. you actually recruit Dorcas, and uh, <laughs> and he's well, like, "Wait, what am I doing? I don't want to kill my wife." Uh, it kind of makes me wonder, like, if you don't recruit him, what happens? 
if he, he kills, kills his wife. own wife, I don't, I don't know, but that'd be hilarious. It'd be, tra- <laughs> it'd be tragic, but it also just wouldn't make sense. No, there's probably, there's a probably a whole ass like scene with it too, where he's like, like "What over. have I done?" He's like, "Oh crap, my axe wasn't supposed to go there." <laughs> I really, I really don't like Dorcas at all. I think, I think I've leveled him up all the way before, and he's just not one of the stronger units, even as a warrior. Well, there's only two of them. You have him or Barter, but and, and they're both Barthay. trash units. But at least Barter actually in Hector's mode has a uh, has. There's a reason to promote him into a warrior. Promoting him to a level five warrior actually grants you access. It allows you to recruit a character, I believe. Yeah, there's a catch to it. That that's another thing I like about this game is that uh, acts or unlock or recruiting and uh leveling up certain characters gives you access to more of the game and i've always thought that that was really cool even though you know sometimes it's really hard to get it done and you have to you have to restart chapters a lot yeah now on the other hand in lynn's playthrough you also uh get uh lucius for the first time and uh, he's one of my he's one of my favorite characters i mean like i said i love all the mage characters and uh out of the two light mages that you can get in the game he's the only one that's actually worth anything sorry renault you came in the game so late i have no idea i have no idea if he's trash or not you get like you get a chapter and a half to actually use him and it's like what is the fucking point i love his ending too is basically like yeah, he came in and then he fucked off, and nobody ever knew what ha- nobody ever knew what the deal was with him. He's he's a worthless bishop. Well, he's just there to kind of aid you a little bit if you're a shitty player and you've managed to get by by the skittier teeth. Because honestly, the last five chapters really test your uh, ability or really test you on whether or not you've taken a lot of time prepared. Because you have to manage your funds well, you have to level up your characters. Have to make sure all of them. I try to make it to where every single one of my characters can survive on their own if need be, and so together they're basically unstoppable. And the last five chapters, especially there's a cha- I think it's chapter twenty seven. It's called Cog of Destiny. It's where you fight either. I think it's where you fight Lloyd. He's a sword master. Sword master. Sword master. It's whoever you didn't face before. So if you face Linus, you get Lloyd. If you faced Lloyd, you get Linus. And I think that depends on the. Uh, I might be wrong because I know there's another ch- another chapter that also does this, but I think that depends on. Uh, no, I think that's the overall strength of your units. Yeah, that's what that one does. There's another unit that depends on the overall strength of your magic units versus your your physical units, and that's going to determine what kind of enemies you're going to face. But I think the Lloyd versus Linus one is just your overall team strength, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I've never actually faced Linus there. I've only ever fought Lloyd, the sword. Really? Master. Yeah, I've never, I've I've never fought. Well- Considering the fact that you overlevel your units, that probably means that yeah, you're you're facing the uh, the the stronger one. Yeah, the more difficult one. I dude, it, it's so much fun. That game is so good. But that chapter, Cog of Destiny, is a nightmare. There's got to be at least two hundred enemies that come through over the course of the chapter. That one is difficult, but it, and it will test you. But you also mm-hmm. get access to a Wyvern Lord, which is funny because uh, it's not even that long after you got uh, the, the Wyvern Knight. It was her name Vika, Valka, is the is the Lord character that she faced in that chapter, so you can recruit her. Also, I think there's a there's a town over past a mountain ridge, but there's a there's a ballista and there's a bunch of archer characters right there, so it's like there's a town that you could use a mountain you could easily fly over with a Pegasus unit, 
but there's a bunch of archers standing in your way. Hmm. Sure wish you had picked up that Delphi shield. Delphi shields. <laughs> Which I did. Protect your flying units. Yeah, exactly. Um, who else do you pick up in uh, in Lin in Lin's tail? Uh, your original Pegasus unit, Florina. Florina, yeah. Uh, you 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 uh, you pick up Sarah, who is honestly the inferior uh, healing unit compared to Priscilla because Priscilla's on a horse. So whatever. yeah, but her, her uh, Sarah and Irk's uh, support conversation is really really nice. That's another thing about the game is the support conversation. You can support conversations for those of you listening who haven't played a Fire Emblem game. Um, support conversations are basically ways for you to connect units together. If you get the opportunity to, when you move a unit next to another unit, um, and it gives you the option for support, it basically allows that unit to have a conversation with the other unit. And if you do that three times, it fully levels up their relationship and so basically you can have characters fall in love and get married. You can have characters go from being enemies to best friends. You can have pe like people, yeah, basically it's just a way for your characters and your game to get closer with each other. And it's honestly really cool that they did that because it adds value to the characters. It adds more story beyond, it adds more story beyond what was already there. Like for example, in Sacred Stones, there's a cleric named Natasha that you get in, I think you meet her in chapter five, um, and you also meet a swordmaster in that chapter named Joshua. Throughout the game, you can have those two talk to each other. They'll fall in love and get married and have a kid. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so cool. not every character has a support conversation with every other character. It's kind of yeah. a mystery figuring out who has what. But I think after you play through the game once, you actually get, or, or partway through the game, you actually get a list of what characters that character is compatible with and so you can figure it out but a lot of it is you know just kind of common sense knowing okay these characters are siblings or okay these characters come from this background or these characters are already married yep. but some of it's like you know apparently there's a conversation between like oswin and dorcas you know and and it, and it basically consists i think we, we might have t talked about this last time but it basically just consists of uh uh oswin trying to recruit dorcas and dorcas being like nah man i got a wife <laughs> nah man i'm married fuck yeah. off <laughs> and, and 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 you know and osmond's just basically like understood so yeah no the, i think and we talked about this last time for sure the support conversations but i want to emphasize that the support conversations are where you get a lot more story you're going to actually hear about these characters backgrounds and it's going to influence their outcome because at the end of the game mm -hmm. that character either fucks off on their own or they fuck off with somebody else Yeah. And and that is that is uh, that is fire emblem for you, uh, and you have to be careful because your sport conversations are limited to five per character. Meaning mm -hmm. that if you if you level two characters up to A, those two characters can't make an A rank conversation with anybody else. They can only ever get up to a B, or they can have two C rank conversations with two other people. So it kind of gives you, and we did talk about this before, but it gives you an element of of being able to do each playthrough a little bit differently. I mean, for me. All of my lords had support conversations with each other. Uh, Elwood yep. and Hector easily got that A rank, um, and then both uh, El uh, Elwood and and, he and uh, Hector had conversations with Lynn as well. I think up up to B, if I'm not mistaken. Don't Lynn and Elwood fall in love? I think that's a path that can happen. Lynn and El. So basically, uh, <laughs> it's really funny. Roy's mother can be determined by your Fire Emblem Seven playthrough, but whoever you pick ends up dying by the time. Uh, uh, Fire Emblem Six comes around, so uh, brutal. 
If, if you want Lynn to live, don't, uh, yeah, don't. I mean, I don't give a shit about that. Once once the game's over, I don't really give a shit. Lynn can die. But uh, Ellie Wood can, uh, can also have a romance with, uh, with, uh, uh, Ninian, which is really interesting because that means that Roy is like part dragon or some shit. Or yeah. uh, you can have one with uh, Florina, I believe. I don't like that. That bothers or me. Or it might be Fiora. What's one of the Pegasus Knights? Yeah, I feel like it would be Fiora because I feel like Florina's really young. Yeah, I think you're <laughs> right. I think it's actually Fiora. But uh, yeah, it's. I think it's her. But I think Florina can actually can actually marry Hector. Okay. And be uh, the I mean... the mother of their child. So, because I know one of them is one of them, and one of them is the other. But Florina also has a support conversation with uh, Lynn. Is there is there an actual like same sex relation in any of the Fire Emblem support conversations in any of the games? I don't think so. Well, three houses, you can have a same sex relationship between your uh, your plate your avatar character. Oh, well, I know that much. Yeah, I mean, Byleth, well, that, that's cool. Byleth can be gay, uh, but. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, this is the very first Fire Emblem game. You talked about this earlier. This is the very first Fire Emblem game to have an Avatar character. Uh, that was something that I guess they felt the uh, the series needed or the West would connect a little bit more. But like you said, I think it does actually immerse you in the in the, in the world and the story a little bit more because you get to have this character who by default is named Mark, but you can decide their name, gender, and their birthday, which will actually determine uh, it, it has an effect on, on uh, supports later on. Okay. I, I believe, like whatever affinity they, whatever birthday they have, d- is their affinity, and so the units that have that affinity, I, I don't know the details of it, but. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think it's really cool that um, Nintendo included that to kind of you know keep up with the times and to give support where it's needed. The drums of war are beating. No man can be trusted. What happened to Dorcas? I put poison in his mutton. Build an army. Trust nobody. Fire Emblem. Only on Game Boy Advance. Rated everyone. Game Boy. Yeah, so your avatar character never actually talks, and you never actually see their face, and they're only minimally involved in the story, but they're always there, traveling with the troop. Oh, well, cool. Yeah, so, you know, you kind of get this sense of... uh, of adventure of you kind of just being a part of these events that are happening. Now, after Lynn's story, then you can start Elliewood's story if you're playing for the first time, um, or you can do Hector's story, which is the same thing as, as Elliewood's story, but from Hector's perspective and a few extra chapters, and it's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like Elliewood's story, to be honest. I was never a big fan of Elliewood's uh, path, I, or not Elliewood, sorry, Hector's path. Hector's path. I don't like Hector that much. I think he's arrogant, pompous, and a bit of a jackass. Well, I guess that's part of what makes his character so charming. Too bad he's the best. He's the best uh, lord then in terms of gameplay, guys. <laughs> oh, he is very powerful. His defense is off the charts. I just, I've never been okay. So I guess we can talk more about gameplay. But the weapon triangle, out of the weapon triangle, I think axes are my least favorite. They're, They're very slow. powerful. They're very slow. But I love sword-wielding characters, and that's another reason why Elliewood and Lynn are kind of at the top of my list. Yeah, uh, well, and see, Elliewood and Lynn don't end up being very, very strong units, but if you level them up and invest in them, they'll keep up with the rest of your team. The nice thing about Lynn is that she at least dodges like hell, which is really, really nice, and... uh, and she can get those crit animations a little bit more. Uh, her her speed and her 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 luck stats are actually uh, much higher than all the other characters, which is her saving grace. 
Elliot is kind of a weak unit, at least until he gets his promotion. And then he then he gets more mobile, you know, he gets the horseback. Yeah, but his uh his his piercing ability is really nice. I feel like he does slightly more damage when he uses like specialized swords like rapiers and or rapier. What do you want to call those? I always rapiers? said rapiers, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's rapier. Rapier. Because it's sounds it's like a French. French dish. But yeah, I feel like he's more uh vicious with those because they they just have a piercing effect, especially against like knighted units. Yeah, and whenever he gets the Durandal. I mean, he is unstoppable. Yeah, that, 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 especially those. I hate that you can't use those weapons until the very end, though. I hate that he doesn't even have a, a legendary weapon of his own until the very end. Yep. His 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 weapon that he comes with is 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 the rapier, and and that's it. Like you know, you can you could equip that on other units, and you don't even really want to use that unless you're fighting horseback or mounted units. Absolutely. So you know, you kind of just give him a steel sword and well. <laughs> also, the little, not, yeah, knights. The little knights. Yeah. Well, you said knighted units. I'm dumb. Sorry. <laughs> armored units and horseback units. I think the armored units are called knights, right? I Yeah, they are. And they become generals. Right. I love Lin's story, though. I, Lin's story from the very beginning will always be my favorite. Because not only, she kind of has like a master sword moment from Zelda. Like the manicotti, I guess that's what, it sounds like a type of, Italian dish, but the the manicotti, manicotti, the the sword literally chooses her. It's and it's really cool. And the soul cotti is one of the most badass weapons in all of Fire Emblem, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, the manicotti and the soul cotti. I think the man man of of manicotti means moon. The soul cotti means sun. So, you know, moon cheese, moon cheese. Yeah, the uh, the the part where Lin gets the manicotti is cool. until until you find out that it has durability like any other weapon, but it's okay if it breaks during Lin's playthrough, you still get to play it in Ellie Winter Hector's tail. Yep, it comes back fully restored. But if you break it, then it's gone for it's the rest gone. of the game. Yeah, <laughs> I I'll use the Manicotti until it's got about ten durability left, and I'll try to be very sparing with that. Well, one thing that I didn't realize either was that like the like the rapier, the the Lord weapons are strong against specific types i think i think it's the same i think they're they're strong against uh horseback and, and armored units if i'm not mistaken or one or the other but which i didn't know the game doesn't tell you uh the game actually flat out lies about what what uh, hector's weapon is strong against it's like yep. it's strong against infantry and it's not it's strong against cavalry it's literally not <laughs> <laughs> strong against dude i hate those little soldier guys since we're talking about infantry the little soldier type characters Oh yeah, no. For most fr- Fire Emblem games, that's not even a playable class. Uh, Frontline grunt. Yeah, no, they're just like on foot spear units. So weak. Like if you're gonna have oh, a yeah. spear character, at least put them on horseback, and that's what most Fire Emblem games did. But a lot of games have it to where, uh, you know, they're well, not a lot of games, but some games have you start as a soldier and then you get the cavalry promotion, and so your characters don't start as cavaliers; they start as as soldiers. Uh, Echoes does that. Three Houses does that. Yeah. Also, um, well, no, that's not introduced. That that doesn't. That we don't have to talk about that because that doesn't actually show up until Sacred Stones. Yeah. But the units that start like the trainee units, like Ross and Amelia, those type of weak units, those don't show up in Blazing Blade. No. No, and that was actually kind of cool. I actually like that. Uh, that that's something that we'll we'll definitely talk about if we do the games that feature those. Um, Absolutely, Blade, we should. Blade actually set 
the foundation for the Sacred Stones in a lot of ways. And you could say that Blazing Blade walked so Sacred Stones could run. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, I enjoy Blazing Blade more than Sacred Stones. Sacred Stones really just added a lot of variety when it comes to Fire Emblem because Sacred Stones is the first game where you could actually choose which class you could, you know... uh, Promote. Promote too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it has the branch promotion system. Well, the cool thing about Blazing Blade is it actually set a lot of precedents for the Fire Emblem series as a whole. Uh, one thing that's interesting about Blazing Blade, as opposed to every other Fire Emblem game that had ever been developed before, is that it actually recycled assets from the previous game. No other Fire mm-hmm. Emblem game had done that before. Every Fire Emblem game up to that point started from scratch. What's nice about the fact that Blazing Blade did that is that Intelligent Systems took the time to develop the other parts of the game better and just yep. make it an overall better game and flesh out some of the components that would that would shape the franchise literally i mean this was this this game is single-handedly responsible for fire emblem continuing to be a success today yeah i think intelligent systems did a really good job of kind of setting the bar for you know how improvements of video games should be done you know take take things from previous games and use that to improve upon the next title. I feel like a lot of titles and stuff nowadays focus too much on the money instead of, you know, the actual improvement. Right, exactly. And, you know, take games like Cyberpunk. Oh, God. Which, no, it's not the developer's fault. Um, Publishers really, really push that deadline on them. But it just goes to show that if you don't have the time to develop your systems, the game's not going to be very good. Uh if if the you know intelligent systems had taken the time that they put into the blazing blade to really hammer out the gameplay and refine it then the binding blade would have been a lot more successful but then we would have never gotten the blazing blade so <laughs> yeah absolutely and honestly i i like what they did with the story of the blazing blade because it's essentially it's essentially you know the prequel to the game that came before it right though. and it's it's what we needed you know i wanted to learn that story yeah, it's like, did you want to play as Roy's father? Well, now you get to. Well, honestly, that and, you know, the Sealed Sword, I hate that story. It, it's got such a terrible ending. Because if you don't do everything just right and get all of the weapons, you don't get to access the actual last chapter, which sucks. I thought it was interesting how the Blazing Blade sets up the story. The, the villain of the Binding Blade, you actually encounter him as a child and you, you save him. You, you, yeah. You're the reason <laughs> you made this happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the story of the Blazing Blade is, for lack of a better term, it, it's it's fairly by the numbers. It's nothing that's like yeah. Know. It's a tad it's a tad lackluster. But but the 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 storytelling, the character, the you know the interactions between the characters and how you get from point A to point B, is actually really interesting. And I and I like what they did with that. Absolutely. I mean, basically, your 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 basic premise of the story that you get whenever you get partway through Elliewood and Hector's tale is that you know you've got this evil man Nurgle who uh, wants to Nurgle. wants to bring the dragons back and and absorb the quintessence of dragons and take over the world or something. I don't know. I don't even know actually why he wants to do what he does, but but he does. He wants to do it. He just wants power. You know, he was he was friends with Athos for so long and they were working on ancient ways of magic and it just kind of consumed him. And it's really sad because he just he it's it's a classic story, but it's told very well, a classic story of somebody who discovers power and they become consumed and obsessed with it. And you know, it's it's done really well cuz 
and it's very sad, you know, because you know that Athos and his name's Athos, right? The mm -hmm. Archsage, Athos and Nurgle are really good friends, carrying over a race of what is it? A race of ancient dragons? Yeah, yeah, and in I the think, desert. I think there's a backstory with with Nurgle that you can that you can unlock that isn't in it like through support conversations or something or or, yeah. or some of the extra chapters that you get in, in Hector Hardbed, but. Yeah, he actually has a motivation. I think like his his wife or someone died, and but like eventually he just started seeking power, and he forgot the original reason why he sought power, and just started seeking power for the sake of it. Yep, he just wanted to become stronger. Also, I think I heard that Nils and Ninian are actually his children. Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't seem right. Uh, well, I watched a video, and someone and it's actually <laughs> it was a YouTube. We can, we can confirm it. Yeah, I'm look, look it up. I'm gonna look it up right now and find oh. out. But yeah, somebody somebody told me relatives. Yeah, Nurgle Nurgle is Nils and Ninian's father, but I guess you wouldn't normally know that unless you uh, are lore obsessive. Play through the game a certain way. So yeah, Nils and Ninian are actually his children. That makes it a lot more interesting, doesn't it? It does. I don't think he's aware of that because uh, he sends Ninian to her death, uh, and that's actually one of the most heartbreaking points in the story because. Mm -hmm. Ninian is kind of the de facto romance for Elliot. It seems like she's kind of the one that he's intended to fall in love with. I mean, yep. it's ultimately up to player choice, but... I mean, it sets it up to where Elliot, like, slays her on accident. It's That part's really sad. That's what I'm talking about, yeah, because they set them up as basically this budding romance. Uh, the story even teases it at various points. And then uh, and then he slays her because, and not even of his own will, apparently the, the Durandal's like, oh, shit, a dragon. Yep, basically the sword takes over Elliot, and he has no choice. Yeah, and then he kills Ninian as a dragon. Mm -hmm. and, and then you find out. But it's okay. She gets resurrected in the end. And if you manage to get her support conversations with Hollywood, instead of returning to the world of dragons with her brother, she actually stays with Hollywood. And they yeah. marry. And they have little baby Roy, who is apparently part dragon. Little baby Roy. <laughs> yeah, Roy. I I like Roy, but not as much as Hollywood. I think Roy is... He, he can be very strong. Also, they did a... Uh, just a little sidetrack... Somebody made something called Project Ember for Fire Emblem 6, and uh, they remade it to where Roy can actually level up to be a mounted unit. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if, if they do a remake, you know, that, that that's something I'd probably implement is, is fix, you know, the uh, the promotion in uh, Fire Emblem 6, bring in some of the promotions from, from 7 into 6 and, and make, uh, make Roy a mounted unit. That would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, my idea was... If they do, uh, if they do a Fire Emblem Six slash Fire Emblem Seven remake, I would add a, a, another like tier of promotions for all the Lord characters, you know, and kind of and, kinda, and, and introduce kind of a branch promotion system similar to the Sacred Stones. I mean, that sounds awesome, but I think if they did that, they would need to implement some more chapters, add to the story a little bit, which you know I wouldn't mind. I always want more story. You would have to actually implement. You would actually have to do that because uh, the, there's no other way. That yeah, you know, well, if you're gonna flesh out these two games and and make them bigger, I think an additional set of chapters is necessary. And maybe you'd get some time to actually spend with like Renault, say, in game, and nope. have have a few chapters. I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. He doesn't deserve to be in the game. Just remove him. That's what we're that's that's what we're doing in the remake. We are removing Renault. Removed Renault. Nobody cared about that actually. <laughs> Everybody was just like, oh, okay. Oh, Renault. 
but what a waste of a character. You would get you think it would be exciting to get a bishop late game, but nope. Well, it's like you already have one by that point. You're so late in the game, you've already promoted Lucius probably by that point. So it's like And Lucius is a badass, so getting Renault is it's just disappointing. And if not Lucius, maybe Sarah. Although why you'd end up promoting her over Lucius is kinda of beyond me. The last the last time I played through the game I promoted Sarah and Lucius. I promoted everybody. Because I found uh, the secret shop. You can find... Oh, the secret shop is awesome. And of course, I love to arena spam. So at that point, I had like 400,000 gold. Yeah. And if you send characters in with Denise's Grace, they can't actually die. Yeah. And you get to send them in twice. It's a glitch. Yep. You have to... I think the way it works is you send them... You, you, you apply Denise's Grace. You send them in. And then as soon as they come out, you pick them up. I think with another character, you rescue them and then drop them off and then you can send it back through or something like that. All right. Well, I have a question. Uh-huh. I never, I never knew this, but can you actually promote Ninian or does she stay the same all game? Not that I'm aware of. I never promoted her because that's why I never really took the time to use her that much. I've never really used Ninian that much. I don't really like characters that constantly are just there to renew your turn. Ninian and Nils. Well, I don't know. That's really useful. I ended up adding him to the, my, my party more often than not because the advantage of having that extra turn every time uh, really helps. Especially, like, you can use it on a healer character and heal two units at once. Or, uh, you know, you can have a character go over here to this village and do this and then come back and, and fight an enemy. Or, you know, it, it, I ended up finding a lot of uses out of that. Also, the Nenesis Grace ability, uh, not only for arena spamming, but I, I just found it useful overall to uh, to give characters, you know, full damage resistance. Yeah. You know, because they're they're basically immune to to everything after you put Nenesis Grace on them. They I mean, they absolutely. take hardly any damage from both physical and magical attacks, which is nice. Um, if you're trying to protect a character, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, kind of piggybacking more on the story of Ninian, I like how even though Elliewood does take her out. I like how they bring her back. It yeah. kind of it kind of revives that happiness because you are rooting for Ninian and Ni- uh, not Ninian and Nils. That's incest, but Ninian and Elliewood. <laughs> <laughs> Ninian and Elliewood, you are kind of rooting for them. And when she gets when she gets taken out by Elliewood, it's a really heartbreaking moment. Yeah, but yeah. She it- comes back in the final chapter. She's revived, and there's some there's some hope. It's nice. It, you know, it's not nearly as uh, tragic as it's made out to be. The game really throws you for a loop there and then just kind of brings her back at the end. And uh, if you didn't get the support conversation with her, then she just goes back to the World of Dragons. But if you do, then I, I think she stays. I didn't do it because, uh, I don't know, I had I had Elliewood and Ninian together so much. And I just, they never ended up, probably because I already got... Thinking back on it now, it's probably because I already got five support conversations with Elliot, and that's why <laughs> they never it never happened. That's probably why. Yeah. What did you think of Nurgle uh, creating like morphs? That's really interesting, especially you know I think if you go back and play through the game in Hector mode and uh, and get some of those side chapters, like you get the the Kashuna character, who's just a magic seal. Uh, I think yep. he was the first one that actually had real emotions and sentience but like his only purpose is that he's a magic seal which kind of begs the question of like because like in order to get that story you have to kill him and then it's kind of like man why did i have to kill him yep yeah it doesn't make sense (laughs) he actually helps you in the chapter he comes in his magic seal so i left him alone i wasn't inclined to attack the dude i was like okay i take that back the first time 
I played through it, I did attack him because I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> Absolutely. And, it, and what's funny is he doesn't even say anything. He's just like, I yeah, I, I usually leave him alone. Um, but because it works to I mean, your advantage. That is true. The other character has uh, the, the boss character. I think has bolting or something. Yep. For a far-reaching magic attack, and even though it makes your mages unable to function, you have plenty of physical units to deal damage to that boss, which is what you should be doing anyway, because he's a magic character, so he's uh, he's going to be weaker to physical attacks. But th- the morphs are interesting. I think I, that uh, Sonya's my favorite. Sonya, yeah. Yeah, and the last chapter, Light, it's it's awesome because it's ridiculously hard. Yes. Every every boss, pretty much every difficult boss that you faced in the game is revived and strengthened. All of their stats are raised. Yeah, they're all they're and, all brought back as morphs. And, and you have to fight them and they don't speak. But they smile when you defeat them. I like that. Because they're happy. They want release. They want sweet death. Which is horrible. It's a very dark game. I love how Fire Emblem's like, hey, you want to fight the most difficult bosses in the game plus a couple more you haven't even faced yet all at once? <laughs> yep. And then fight Nurgle. And then fight a dragon. Yep. Because you can't have a Fire Emblem game that doesn't end with you slaying a dragon. No, you can't. And honestly, I, I think it's a bit of a re uh, overused gimmick. But let's be honest, it wouldn't be Fire Emblem without it. It wouldn't be Fire Emblem if you did end the game with slaying a dragon. There's just no other way around it. So, But basically, the whole premise of the story is that you move as a group. And you just you figure out that Nurgle is using quintessence to you know revive dragons so that he can rule over the world and you have to stop him that's basically it but there's just a lot of good meaningful connections amongst all the characters and the combat is awesome the story is it's you know it can be like i said a little lackluster at some points but if if we're being honest it's fun you know it's it's a classic Fire Emblem game. Yeah, it is. And like you said, the story is very basic, but I think what makes it work is all the characters have their own like personal journeys, right? Lynn is trying to find her grandfather, you know, and then she ends up meeting Hector and Elliewood and uh and uh Elliewood is trying to find his dad and he actually dies halfway through the game. And so like that that you personal know. journey turns into, okay, no, we got to stop Nurgle. That's what's going to happen. Not just for vengeance, but because the world is in danger. And then Hector Actually, I think his personal journey is is just that he's he's following Elliewood. He doesn't really have. He just wants to fight. He just wants to fight. <laughs> Maybe that's why Hector's tale isn't as strong for you because like he doesn't really actually have a personal journey. He's not doing anything. He's just following Elliewood. <laughs> like I think his story starts off with he heard that Elliewood was in danger and he ran to him. That's it. Yep. Yep. It's like Hector acts like a badass, but really he truly loves and cares for Elliewood. Like that's his best friend. Yeah, they're brothers, man. And Absolutely. you get that through their support conversations. I think that that adds a lot of uh, dimensions to the characters and, and it gives them, you know, some uh, some much-needed development. Uh, and also with Lynn, you know, add Lynn into the mix. And you have these three characters who become unlikely friends and, mm-hmm. you know, lifelong friends, you're, you're led to believe. I love the ending scene, actually, where you see uh, Hector and Elliewood grown up and then actually starts hinting at the plot of the Binding Blade. Yep. That's, I mean, that's what it was set up for. Right. This game sets up that game. And so if you know what happens in that game, you know where this is all coming to. And uh, some of the characters show up in this one. And like Marcus, uh, some of the characters even uh, are the the parents of the characters in the Binding Blade, which actually is really interesting because those specific characters cannot die. No, they cannot. They'll just be, it 
the permadeath system still works though. The character doesn't like the character isn't available for the rest of the game. They're injured and they can't fight anymore. But because they're necessary for plot relevance, <laughs> they they actually can't die. Which in on the one hand kind of takes away a little bit of the gravity of the situation. But it's only a few of the characters, and uh, two of them are your lord characters who can't die anyway because that would be game over. So, ah, oh, Fire Emblem Seven. Yeah, no, it's a fucking fun game, man. It really is. I love it. I guess we'll go ahead and get into our final thoughts here. Okay. Well, my final thought is that it's a very, very well done introduction of Fire Emblem to, you know, the U.S. I think that, I think that all in all, it's a phenomenally done game. For how long it is, it kind of keeps the player engaged in the story, and I like that. I respect it. And honestly, I really hope that they kind of go back to that original that that gba style of fire emblem i know i'm probably on a very short list of people that agree with me but i i like i like the way that that game is i like the design of it i think it's one of my favorite fire emblems that are the sacred stones um and i think it's a really good way to explain the story that takes place before the sealed sword and i i love it i give it a 8.5 out of 10 I love all of the chapters. And there's a lot of story that there's like a lot of smaller elements that we didn't necessarily cover. But just go play the game for yourself. You can you can download an emulator and play it on a ROM. And it's a really good experience. Like you can learn about Jafar and Nino and her relationship to, you know, Linus and Lloyd and the Black Fang. And it's just it's it's a lot of stuff that you really need to just experience for yourself. Yeah. So but I, I love it. I think it's a wonderful game. What about you, Ash? I came into this game with very little knowledge of what it was about. In fact, I don't even think I knew it was a tactical RPG until I started playing it. And I was like, oh, this is a tactical RPG. Okay, cool. So I think this is very much a game that, you know, you just kind of just get thrown into and start playing and you'll pick it up and, and love it. Like it, it gives you a tutorial to the mechanics of that genre of game. And it is a fantastic introduction into the series. I, Seriously, I would recommend this game over any other Fire Emblem game to start with. And I don't think that you're uh, you're alone in in the uh, GBA Fire Emblem game supremacy. I think that that's actually a kind of a popular opinion. It's not a hot take. Uh, a lot of people feel like the series had a charm that it hasn't quite regained since. And I actually understand where people are coming from. I like a lot of the more modern games. I do. But there is something that is truly special about the GBA Fire Emblem games, and that starts with Blazing Blade for me. And I think that, you know, you play Blazing Blade, and then, you know, hey, go and play Blinding Blade now. Because even though it takes place before, it's a lot harder. And mm-hmm. it, Oh my god, so much harder. Yeah, well, actually, it takes place after, so never mind. You're playing the game, you're playing it in order that way. So it actually, it actually works better chronologically, too. <laughs> And then uh, play the Sacred Stones, because even though it's not connected, it, it very much exists in the same um, space as the other two GBA Fire Emblem games. Uh, improved. and improves on those mechanics. Uh, I started playing a little bit more of the Sacred Stones, too, and, and I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. But yeah, no, dude, thank you so much for suggesting this game, because it actually made me fall in love with this series. Absolutely, dude. I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to experience that, and you should play the Sacred Stones. Yeah, no, I got to play through it. In fact, I think... I think if we do a uh, let's play, I think that's the one we should do. All right, brother, I'll leave that to you. Because uh, I think I think that would be a lot of fun. I would love to do a let's play. Uh, there are so many Fire Emblem games that we could honestly do 
we could do one a season <laughs> and probably never even get through like every single game because there's uh so far 16 of them okay yep. and that that's including remakes and whatnot i mean i don't, I don't suppose we'd go back and play the original but if we do the remake because with fire emblem it's not like final fantasy 7 it's like the remake is is just kind of a better version of the game it's yep. kind of like a zero mission thing. But speaking of Final Fantasy VII, that is what we are opening up next season with. That's going to be our season premiere. In part one, we are talking about the original Final Fantasy VII. And in part two, we are talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake. And we're going to convince you why you need to play both. Because there are different games. And, and they both have their strengths and weaknesses. And they're just different games. So uh, I actually am ecstatic about it because Final Fantasy is another series that I'm now falling in love with, or at least the Final Fantasy VII subseries, because, God, it is so good. Now, as far as Season 4 of Collateral Gaming goes, this is it, man. This is the season finale. We are... Um, so happy to have done this season with you guys, with you and Megan. I think that we've touched on a lot of really awesome games. Uh, what do you think, man? Yeah, I, I'm still really excited and blessed to, you know, be a part of this podcast experience. I've really, truly enjoyed it. And honestly, I am really excited for what the future seasons hold. I cannot wait to work with you guys. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, we, we definitely had a lot of bangers this time, and we opened up with Metroid Dread, Uh you know, we did uh, Zelda Twilight Princess. That was our Zelda game. We, we did Superman 64, which was uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. GoldenEye was our 420 special. I mean, man, we had just a lot of fucking cool games. Uh, Megan and I did uh, Hellblade, Sinnoh Sacrifice, uh, and also Anthem which was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, Anthem is a pretty terrible game. But to be honest, I'm just I'm glad that I'm still here with you guys. Um, a lot of things have changed since I've started on the podcast. We've come a long way from just talking about the Metroid Prime trilogy uh, when I was just a guest on that episode. And now here we are. Yeah. So, and it's funny because actually after Ash, Ash and I finish recording, we're actually going to watch some more Chuck. We've been watching Chuck. And it's just such a good show. I love it. So I we can love Chuck. And we can, you know, continue popping off ideas for the future of the podcast while we watch. Fuck yeah, dude. But thanks well, for tuning in for season four, everybody. Yeah, guys, that's pretty much a wrap on that. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us feedback on your platform of choice. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts, for instance, would be phenomenal. That helps us. Um, and if you want to support the show, go check out our Patreon. We have exclusive Let's Play video game commentaries, and we will have more coming out. I kind of wanted to do a lot of that during the inter-season break, which never ended up happening. Although, in retrospect, while, while I was waiting to make this part two happen, I could have been working on that. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. We'll get caught up with that shit, man. And... Uh, yeah, uh, you can find Collateral Gaming wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google. And uh, if there's any platform that we're not on, let us know. If you'd like to collaborate, if you are a fellow podcaster, a streamer, uh, just a video game enthusiast, and you you, you think, hey, man, I want to lend my talent, hit us up in the DMs. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our Facebook group, Collateral Media Podcasts, as well. Because that's kind of where we, uh, that, that, that's our that's our shit posting group. That's that's what that is. Yeah, it is. And you could join <laughs> in 
And you can also report on news related to movies, video games, or even branch out. You want to talk about other pop culture shit? I mean, we were going to have a, a music podcast in the works, and I don't know if that's actually going to happen now, but... <laughs> yeah, you never know, man. You never know. Yeah, but... Anywho, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for staying with us this whole season. Uh, so ecstatic about the number of downloads we get. I've noticed if I don't release an episode out for even like a month or so, we still get downloads every day, dude. So thank you so much for that, guys. Thank you for ha- taking an interest in show in our show and, and listening to our shit and, and keeping up with it because, I mean, I we wouldn't be able to continue going and this podcast wouldn't be as successful as it has without that. And I yep. would say that we're pretty successful, both Collateral Cinema and Collateral Gaming. Um, I mean, we're stacking up. Collateral Cinema finally hit over 10,000 downloads this season. At Collateral Gaming, we are approaching 9,000. Yes, we are, and that's really, really exciting. And we're going to have to have a DBZ moment when that happens. <laughs> it's over 9,000! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Well, let's get out of here. All right. That being said, I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Zach Regio. This has been Collateral Gaming Season 4. Season 4. And we are out. Out. Bye. Slavia, Ukraine, and all that shit. Goodbye. Collateral Gaming is a collateral media podcast. All music and game clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.